Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, J.A. Jantz, popular local author, prolific popular author, a New York Times bestselling author who has her Beaumont series set right here in the Puget Sound area with lots and lots of local references. And Beaumont is the new book just coming out this week along with a week full of book events. Sins of the Fathers is a truly gripping, well, another gripping story that takes us on an intriguing ride, touching on many contemporary issues. So let's get right to it and meet Miss Jance. J.A. Jance, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Thank you. I'm glad to do so. And of course, it goes without saying, thank you for another compelling and exciting and stimulating read with a brand new Beaumont book, Sins of the Fathers. Well, it's fun to revisit him. He and I have been together as author and character for the better part of three decades now. I started writing about him in 1983. So it's been a long time. It is. So he he definitely feels like a, a, a good friend. He does. When it's time to start writing a Beaumont book, his stories are told in the first person. And within a few pages, it's as though I'm back in his world, in his mindset, and we're traveling around the Seattle area together. And so, it's really sort of magic. <laughs> well, and and I'm so interested in that because in reading it, and he has this really quirky, funny personality and the kinds of things he, he will say, or at least he thinks, and he won't necessarily say, I wonder, now, is Miss Jance thinking this as she's writing it, or is she in a different persona? So which, which is it? Beats me. <laughs> <laughs> they flow into each no, it feels it feels to me as though he's saying them. Okay. It it's really I guess it's sort of schizophrenic. <laughs> Probably as good a description as anything, right? <laughs> <laughs> or or at least gets that point across. But he does have this you know, a really great personality where, as we read, we need to kind of chuckle along with him. And because he does have some really funny things, funny comments to make, and uh, it's it's just fun to be able to meet up with him again. And th- so with this new book, with Sins of the Fathers, uh, really intriguing, lots of very interesting uh pathways and roadways uh, that he traverses here. And really, it's so contemporary, really touches on so many issues that really are part of our life today. Well, the interesting thing for me was that the groundwork of this, the foundation of this story was laid in the fourth book in the series, way back to a book called Taking the Fifth. I, I should have named the fifth book, Taking the Fifth, instead of the fourth, but I didn't. But but this is this story begins with things that happened in Taking the Fifth back back in the eighties. And so so it's also a blast from the past for for both of us for my 
for my character and me and also for the readers. Yes, it is definitely for the readers because uh, for those of us who remember Seattle in those days as as he drives around and is reminiscing, we can say, yes, I remember those good old days. And he stops himself short, of course, when he says that, right? Those good old days. Yeah. <laughs> He he sort of it sort of surprises him that he keeps thinking about the good old days. But but he's my age, and I'm his age. I and that's that was deliberate on my part. It's it's tough to remember when you have kids, grandkids. We have five kids, ten grandkids, and now almost three great grandkids. So you're trying to remember birthdays for living people. And then if you toss in all of these characters and try to remember when their birthdays are and how old they are, and I I finally just gave up. I gave Beaumont <laughs> my birthday so it would be easy to remember. <laughs> if I can remember how old I am, I know how old he is. <laughs> Such wisdom. That's a great way, of course, to approach it. But for, I came to Seattle in the early 80s. And so... Uh, those things, when when I was living in Seattle, I lived in the Denny Regrade. And when I named his building Belltown Terrace, it was in the Regrade. And now Belltown Terrace is in, well, Belltown. Right. Nobody even talks about the Regrade anymore, as far as I can tell. And I think you're right. When I read that, I thought, that's right, we're not using that term anymore. Somehow it just kind of faded back into the background, into history. And yes, Belltown, it just comes right off our lips anymore. It's weird. Yes. and But that's what happens when time passes. And I, somebody wrote to me and said, he had just started reading the Beaumont books, and he says, how, how come Beaumont is always walking around Seattle looking for a payphone and a quarter? Why doesn't he just use his cell? And I wrote back and I said, look at the publication date on this book. (laughs) (laughs) It almost didn't go on sale until 1986. And even then, it was a big gray brick. You couldn't very well walk around with one of those in your pocket. Right. And and that's right. In those days, there were only a certain number of people who actually had that. We never even thought of having our own... Uh, type of cell phone, which, as you say, was like a a brick that you'd have to carry around. So isn't that funny that people think of it only in in contemporary tone times? But that's the thing that makes it so fun, like reading this current book, Sins of the Fathers, then we really get all the contemporary stuff that's going on and get that kind of blast into the past, as you said. It, it's uh, It's great to have both. Well, yes, context is everything, isn't it? Yes, true enough. And, you know, for us who live here, um, I find that this is really great that, you know, we we can identify with so many of the different landmarks and and think of the way things have changed and, and get that piece of history like West Seattle. So for your research, did you already know this or did you have to do some digging for that, I I I did some digging for that because unlike Beaumont, West Seattle is terra incognita. 
to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I did some research, and uh, boy, I wouldn't have wanted to. I wouldn't have wanted to be in the Denny party. Thank you very much. Oh, no. Any <laughs> yeah, 30 years ago in Seattle felt like maybe that was kind of an ideal time. But if you went back 130 years, oh, my gosh, th- that was really, really scra- scraping by and tough times. Yes, it was. And so all that history, though, is accurate. So in reading about what went on and, and uh, the development uh, in that West Seattle area, that's accurate. It's accurate as, it's as, accurate as a fiction writer can make it. <laughs> but the characters are, are true, are they not? My characters the, are true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the development part that is, you have to remember, I write fiction and I get to use my literary license. Okay. So the families, though, that are part of that, the, the story, they actually are part of the family. I mean, yes, taking the fact that, you know, we don't have the accurate history, but, but the names are factual. No. No, you have to understand that I took fictional people and put them in West Seattle. Okay. The 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 family histories of the of the the two families side by side. Nope, I made those up. Okay. So which is great and fine, of course. Just wanting to and be clear on that, yeah. The uh the problem with crimes against Indigenous women, especially, going unsolved is a very real problem. My solution to that problem is fictional. But maybe it'll, maybe it's a good enough idea that it will spark someone to do something like that. Uh, I, in fact, we, you and I have discussed the teddy bear patrol many times. And the teddy bear patrol, as far as I know, started here in Seattle. But I just had a letter a few weeks ago about a teddy bear patrol in some other state. And so I I created that that project in down in Columbia City as a fictional thing. But I'm hoping it'll cause somebody to think, oh, maybe we should do that. And, you know, that one I did look up. I thought, now, is this something that actually exists? And, and I didn't find it. So for you to, to share this with us, uh, Miss Jantz, is so critically important because I can see it as being something really existent. I know in Canada it's become much more of a focus to set up some sort of a, oh, I guess like a data bank to try and, and solve some of these crimes, these murders against the women? Well, I, it, it will come here too eventually, but this, is, this was a fictional, this is a fictional solution to a very real problem. And I, th- I guess that's the, the beauty, isn't it, of fiction, is being able then to create these scenarios and plant ideas. Okay, there, there's a way that it makes sense. It, it doesn't exist, but I, I love your idea that 
I'll plant the seed and who knows what's going to happen with it. Right. Yeah. Somebody might just take it and run with it. Exactly. And so this book really does touch on so many of the contemporary themes of life, uh, such as the murder and the just not paying attention to the death of the Indigenous women. But the, but the main focus of this story is the very real issue, contemporary issue, of grandparents being left holding the bag for babies who are born to parents who are totally unprepared to take care of their children. And that, we know, happens. Alan, Alan Dale is the real hero of this story. And, uh, and that, that story is told with profound respect for all of those grandparents who are giving up their golden years, their supposedly golden years, to take care of their grandchildren. Oh, yes. The, the sacrifice they're making, and yet they know that they need to do this, the option is just not an option. Yes. Saying no is not an option. And so they do it. They do it every day. Uh, the man I knew who who really did take his care, take home his newborn granddaughter after she was weaned off methadone. He, he cared for her. He was a divorced older gentleman. He cared for her on his own for nine months. And he was a man in his mid-60s. And it really cost him seriously in terms of his own health but he saved that he saved that little girl oh so she has her life to owe to him absolutely yes absolutely and the thing that i did not i write fiction so the system is much less onerous in my story than the system is in real life because the system has all kinds of rules and um, procedures that are intended to re, uh, reunite the families when the families never existed in the first place. I, I, I shouldn't even get started because my, I can tell my blood pressure is going Oh, no. Up. <laughs> no, we don't want to affect your health that way. <laughs> But, but you're I right. Made, I made the system less less burdensome and more cooperative than is than is realistic, I'm afraid. And yet I guess you could say I sugarcoated it. And yet I felt a little of it because you were saying in the story that, you know, that he was told, Alan was told that he should just, you know, give the baby to social services and go home and uh, she would end up in the foster care system. So, so that Don't made it. Don't worry your pretty little head about it. Right. Uh, yeah. Yes. So well, he, 
he the the real guy fought for his baby every step of the way, and she is now this beautiful, bright three year old who uh, kisses him goodnight on his cell phone every night because she lives in another part of the state. But yet she is as healthy as she is because of what he did. Absolutely. And hopefully his health is is holding on and holding its own. Well, now that he is no longer caring for her 100% of the time, he's, he is his health is recouping, but when he when he was caring for her as a newborn, the haggard the haggard look on his face, the deep circles under his eyes, he lost weight, he was skin and bones, you know, it was really it was really hard to see. And he was the one who his story was what inspired me to write this book. I, and I wondered what it was. So you, you wove that in just so beautifully. Uh, it, it is the center of the story. That's why everything else kind of really ripples out from that. But, my, but we haven't talked about my favorite character in this story. I Bo. love Lucy. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> yes. Oh, I was going to get to Lucy because you do have a very tender spot in your heart for these puppies, right? Yes, yeah. I do. And Lucy, Lucy wormed her way into Beaumont's heart in a way he didn't expect. And that's that's the, that's the other thing about context. When Beaumont is the unwilling and very much reluctant recipient of this dog. Uh, an Irish wolfhound in the previous book, Proof of Life. He's never had a dog before. And and you have to, I had to bring people, there are new readers who didn't know Beaumont in the early years. So people, I have to let people know, well, he grew up in an apartment over a bakery in Ballard. He never had a dog. And he never had a pet. And so... The idea of having a pet is really strange to him, and and he is he's by God he's coping, he's learning to get along with with that with that situation, but it's been surprising for him, and it's and Lucy has been a huge help for him in bringing him in this critical time where he is sort of reluctantly retired and hasn't figured out what to do in his retirement years. Is he, is he just going to be a stay at home house husband? And now, now he's on a path to become a private eye. And this case with finding the baby's mother is really his first private investigator and, and that is an important piece of it, a, another theme of a different, you know, as you get to a retirement age, that life doesn't end, work doesn't necessarily end. Sometimes a career is really important. And, well, like yourself, as a writer, you just continue doing your passion. And he 
you know, as a cop and now retired, looks at PI. You know, what we love to do, we don't just stop because we hit a certain age. Yes, there's right. not there's not this cliff that you automatically fall <laughs> off. Right. And and I think that that is an important theme for for living. I think there are fewer people now who are actually retiring and and truthfully a lot of people are unable to retire. They simply they can't make it work. Right. Belmont is lucky. He doesn't have to work financially, but he has to work mentally. Otherwise, he's going to go nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. So it might be one or the other or or some of both, but it's an interesting and important thing to acknowledge. And I'd like to take you back. I don't know that we gave Lucy her due in terms of saying enough about these furry family members and uh, how your dogs are definitely a part of your life. Well, yes. My Two weeks ago in my blog, my blog is on my website, and it's, it's a little window on my, on my world. And dogs have been, I dragged, I dragged home my first, as a first grader in Bisbee, Arizona, I, I carried the dog home and then told my mother that it followed me, which was <laughs> a lie. And my mother said, you're not keeping that dog. Well, it happened that my grandparents were visiting from South Dakota and my, my mother's mother. And the next morning, the grandparents, Grandpa and Grandma Anderson, came up to have breakfast. And while my mother was over at the stove fixing breakfast, my grandmother was taking little tiny pieces of toast and (laughs) stuffing them under her green sweater because (laughs) Daisy was hiding there. And, of course, my mother could tell me I couldn't have a dog, but she couldn't very well argue with her mother. (laughs) So dogs have been part of my life ever since. But my, I wrote my blog, and at the end of it, I said, this blog is brought to you with the approval of my, of my whole string of dogs, my lifetime's worth of dogs. And then my daughter read my blog, and she said, Mom, you left out Mandy. <laughs> and Mandy was a dog we had for six months in the 80s. And so this week's blog, which will be up on my website tomorrow, is about... Mandy, and it's called The Case of the Missing Dog. But my blog is on my website, which is www.jajans.com. And on it, you can find uh, my blog, which posts every Friday. I've been writing a blog for oh, 13 years now, at least. And um, you can go back in the ar- archives and see what I've been doing. It's like reading my autobiography and um weekly installments, <laughs> but there's a, a schedule page which will show where my appearances are when the book tour starts next week. There is a books purchase page, and on the books page, if people want to find have a downloadable listing of my books, over on the far right-hand side of that page, there's a link that will give them the list of all of my books in all my series in order because it turns out 
some people are what I call IORs, in-order readers. <laughs> and they want to start at the beginning and read through to the current book. And so that, that listing is to help those folks be able to find what they, find what they need. But the, the website is a use, useful tool in that regard. Oh, for but, sure. Yes, dogs have been part of my life, and two of two dogs are Pound Puppy Boney, who came to us when he was so small that I could, I while I was housebreaking him, I could hold him in one hand. And at that point, I had no idea he was going to grow to be a 110-pound Irish wolfhound. <laughs> and our grand dog, Stormy Girl, uh Lucy, Rambo slash Lucy, is a combination of those two Irish wolfhounds in our lives. Who are also great babysitters then. Uh, actually, yes. I Boney had teeth that were an inch and a half long. And this, some people were there with their three-year-old and weren't paying attention. And that little girl went up and stuck two of her pointy little fingers up Boney's nose. And he just backed away from her. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) He could have demolished her, but instead he backed away, shook his head and walked off. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a people dog, a babysitter. And, And Boney did love to ride with his head on my husband's shoulder. My husband would be driving the car. We we drove with the dogs from Seattle to Tucson. And that's how Boney rode the whole time. My my husband always had to have a towel because otherwise (laughs) his whole shirt would be drooled upon. But people would almost wreck their cars because his head was so big that it completely obscured Bill's head. And to people in in cars going by, it looked for the world <laughs> as though that dog was driving the car. <laughs> well, and these life situations weave their way so naturally into your books. And that particular scene I did wonder about. So thank you for clarifying that. And for listeners, you'll find it in the book and you'll say, aha, now I understand. <laughs> and, and that's... Well, look... Look, Kate, here's the deal. I write fiction, but I'm too lazy to make up everything. (laughs) Boy, that's full disclosure. That's honesty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so the thing is then, don't they say sometimes that life is stranger than fiction? So there you have it. It all weaves together. Yes, it does weave together. So we should say that Sins of the Fathers is brand new. It actually is coming out this coming week. And the full you've got a full week of book tours. You're good. Boy, you've got your work laid out for you. Yes, I do. I, I, book tours are set up by young people in New York. <laughs> and at some point, I'm going to have to remind them that I really am a 70 for verging on 75, but I'm doing this book tour and it'll, it'll be fun and I'm looking forward to it. 
And for that, I know we are all grateful. And those young folks in New York, I'll have to be extra grateful to them because they're the ones who set this up for early morning, which is probably not quite the early hour you would prefer to be up. So I'm deeply grateful that you <laughs> that you did follow that because I, I really wanted to have this opportunity so that we could share your brand new book as it comes out and give, you know, all the folks in this area an opportunity to get out and meet you if they haven't or meet you again and have that that great time because there are many locations. I think I looked at there's about eight or ten different uh, events happening in the week ahead. That's how busy you're going to be. It's going to be busy, all right. <laughs> So we uh, let's mention the website once again for those dates. Uh, go to the website, jagents.com, and click on the schedule page. And I see, too, that you're on Facebook and Twitter. So uh, anyone who's into the latest digital stuff and uh, social media, so many ways to connect with you. They should be able to find me. I am not hiding my light under a bushel. (laughs) Well, thank goodness, and thanks for living it so vibrantly so we get all the uh, vicarious experience through the words of the book. So, J.A. Jantz, it's been delightful as usual. Thank you so greatly for being such a stimulating and fun writer and spending time with us this morning. Thank you. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with J.A. Jantz and Sunday Morning Magazine with Tom and Amy Bettisworth. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Click on the On Air tab, then the Podcast tab, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of major commitment to health, specifically our heart. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.